Hey guys, welcome to my podcast, What About OT? My name's Shelly, and today's episode is called What About Becoming an OT? I have a special guest with me on this episode today. His name is Joe, and he's an OT who has experience working in early interventions, school based pediatrics, and also in subacute. So, Joe and I actually met in OT school at San Jose State, and he was actually my first friend in OT school. He currently lives in Southern California and he's working for the school district right now. So during today's episode, we're going to talk about our experiences becoming an OT, applying to OT school, going through the process of the application,、um, taking the OT exam, and what happens afterwards. So, welcome to my podcast, Joe. Thanks for being on here today. Oh my God, Shelly, that was so flattering. Thank you for having me. I feel, I feel honored. <laughs> <laughs> so, Joe, let's talk about your journey of OT. First off, not a lot of people know what OT is about. And I found out about OT when I was a sophomore in undergrad when my neighbor was studying to be an OT. So I was like 18 or 19 years old at that time. When did you first hear about OT? You know what? I actually first heard about OT, my aunt. She's the one that told me. My aunt works in、uh, HR for a school district down here in Southern California. And so, because she works HR, she gets to see, like,、um, she sees everybody, right?、Mm-hmm. And she always, always, always would like mention to me and my cousins about the OTs, about how they always seem super happy and that they were making, like, decent money. So, she's the one that actually, like, told me what in, or introduced me to what OT is. Yeah, that's so true. That's one of the first things I heard about OT, too. That, like, like everybody loves OT, it's super fun, and you make a lot of money. Yeah, it's really weird. I, I, like, I haven't really met an OT that like, hates their job or isn't like, enjoying life, really. Yeah, yeah? super true. Um, what made you want to do OT over like the other rehabilitation careers like PT or speech therapy? Well, I actually I didn't even want to be an OT, Shelly. I was going to become a, a teacher. Oh,、so、that's I, right. I thought, yeah, I thought I was going to be a teacher like 100%. Actually, even before then, Shelly, I thought I was going to be、uh, a news anchor. Oh, I yeah. Remember, like, I thought I was going to be、uh, a teacher. An anchor for Channel 5 News, and you know, one thing led to another, and I was started working as an、um, uh, instructional aide for kids with special needs. And then,、um, uh, and then I, my aunt told me about OTs, and then I started seeing I, I was like an aide for some OT, or I was an aide for some kids that had OT. And so I started becoming friends with the OTs, and I was like, whoa, this is this is interesting. Yeah. And I, 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 had no, I definitely didn't want to be speech. I knew that 100%. I, I don't know about you, but I, I was、Same. like, speech, that's way too hard. Yeah, and also I feel like speech, you're like limited to a certain area. And then so is PT too. You're limited to like a lot of physical disabilities, physical interventions. But then I chose OT because it's very holistic. Like you can do anything you want for an OT intervention, basically. Like, you can work with cognition, you can work with vision, physical stuff, social skills. Like, you can do anything. And it's like when you're, a, 
when you're like encompassing speech therapy within OT, it's like you can work on that communication board with nonverbal students with autism or even just adults with autism or something. Oh, dude, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, that's like one of the things that I actually really, really do enjoy about OT. I know like there's a lot of there's like a lot of overlap between everything. Mm-hmm. But then also it's kind of like a downfall, don't you think? Yeah, because it's like sometimes, I mean, there's a lot of confusion. Like there's always that battle between OT and PT. Like, oh, why why are you doing that when only PTs can, you know, work on walking and balance and all of that? So there's that part. One thing I have to say, though, is that because we're so broad, nobody knows what we do. Like, we don't have a definite definition for OT at all. It, it's always changing. Yeah, and that, that, that part, like, really upsets me, that we don't have, that, like, when somebody asks you, like, I stopped saying when people ask me, like, oh, like, what do you do for a living? And I, and I tell them, oh, I'm an OT, I'm an occupational therapist. And they ask me, like, what do you do? I stopped, like, trying to, do you know how in school they would give us kind of, like, that broad definition or, like, like, OT Miri had that, like, really good, like, broad definition. Like, I stopped that, and now all I say is, like, oh, like, I, I define it by, like, my setting. So, like, I tell them, oh, like, I work in a school setting, and I help kids, like, with fine motors. So I help them, like, learn how to write and things like that. I help them with their sensory issues in school, and then... Like, I try to be, or I try to, like, know, like, as much as possible about, like, the IEP process. Mm-hmm. Me too. And, like, okay, so you work in school, and so you identify OT as, like, helping students with handwriting and fine motor and, like, school-based goals. Like, for me, because I work in psych and someone asked me what I do as an OT, I'm like, well, I help people engage in some therapeutic, relaxing activities so they can stabilize their mental health, and then they could go home or go to the next program. So it's like a very different definition depending on what setting you work in. That is so crazy to me. That's a really good definition though. Mm-hmm. I like that one. Yeah. So um, after you discovered what OT is, how did you start preparing to OT school? Because did you also discover OT when you were an undergrad like me? Uh, yeah. So I was an undergrad. I, it was a crazy, crazy summer. Uh, my aunt was getting married. Uh, I was, I had applied to OT school, just like a shot in the dark. It was like, um, just something that I I thought, well, if I get in, I'll do it. I never thought I was actually going to get in. I just assumed that I was going to be a teacher. Like, you know, the OT was kind of like the dream at that point. And, uh, actually the OT that I was working with, like I was instructional aid for a student. And that student was getting OT in the school setting. And then that OT, like, actually helped me figure out what classes I need to take and, like, what requirements and everything. And uh, she, like, step by step, like, took me through it. And that's how I was able to apply. And, dude, I, I got waitlisted at first at San Jose State. But, um, yeah, I remember that was, like, really, really crazy. I did not know. I didn't even I that was like a total shot in the dark. I did not think I was going to get in or even remotely close. So I was like, well, if it happens, it happens. If not, I'll be a teacher and I'll get summers off and I'll have a great life. 
the application part to me was like the hardest part of this whole entire process of being an OT. Um, Joe, how many schools did you apply for? So you applied for San Jose State and you're waitlisted and you're also from SoCal. So did you apply to like other OT uh, schools there? So I didn't want to apply to USC because it was like way too expensive for me. And I thought that it's just not something. I mean, I would have loved to go to USC, but uh, it's just it was just way too expensive. And then Dominguez Hills at the time, because I uh, I was like graduating with some classes um, like in limbo still. I didn't have like my degree in hand. Right? I didn't want to take any like time in between. I was able to get like all my volunteer stuff done and everything while I was still an undergrad and I didn't want to take any time off. So they wouldn't let me um, apply because I didn't have my degree in hand yet. So San Jose was the only place that I applied to. So it was like literally like, if I don't what? get here, I'm going to, I'm going to go into Cal State Fullerton's uh, teaching credential program and become a teacher. It was literally a, like a one-shot deal. That is uh, crazy. And you got waitlisted and you got in? Yeah, dude. And I remember when I got waitlisted, I was like something pretty high up. I think I was, I got to find the letter, but I, I want to say I was like 15th or 13th or something like that. Yeah. I definitely wasn't like two or three for sure. And I, yeah, I, I said, I remember like finally getting in uh but you've met troy my buddy troy mm-hmm. like we uh we were working out like during that summer and uh he came over to work out because i had some weights in the back and i remember like opening the door and then he was there and he was he like looked at me and i was like smiling and then he was like oh dude you got it and i was like yeah <laughs> man and so instead of working out we just got like totally we celebrated we got my family and troy we all I drank and had a good time. That's so nice. I know it's an accomplishment, especially to get into San Jose State, because that school is probably the hardest school to get into in the Bay Area because it's cheap, cheap tuition. So that's why it's hella impacted. Uh, dude, for sure. I don't know about you, but did you do the, I don't remember. If I, I did the, uh, the cadaver um, like mini course at Stanford that was like recommended by San Jose State. Did you ever do that? Yeah, um, I remember. So that was one of the prereqs. Like you had to take, you had to take an anatomy class with a live cadaver, right? Or something? Yeah, yeah. It's something, it was like a weird, um, it was like a weird requirement that actually some of our classmates didn't, they, they didn't actually do it and they were still in the program. So that's a little life hack to anybody listening, I guess. Yeah. You don't have to, but don't risk it. Just do it. Yeah. So for sure, when I was applying to OT schools, I was like, I went on their website and I saw all of the requirements and I was like, oh man, I have to make sure I get all of these requirements down so that they would even consider accepting me. But then once I got into OT school, I find out like, for example, okay, for the GRE, you had the requirement was like 150 something for verbal and then I go into OT school and some of our classmates they didn't even reach that minimum score and they still got in so it's like I don't know how these schools really base their acceptance program so how did you decide on what schools to apply for because you're from Southern California but you chose San Jose State I mean that was the only school you applied for but how come you chose San Jose State over, um, like, Dominican or something? Because Dominican's in the Bay, too. 
I had no idea about Dominican. I did not. I actually looked up like a wiki page also on like how to apply to OT school or how to become an OT. And um, I kind of that uh, coupled with that OT that helped me like that was what kind of like drove me and like how I applied. But USC was completely out of the question. I didn't. There's no way I could afford that. Same here. You know, there's just like it's just so expensive. And then um, the Minka Sills, like I said, I needed my degree in hand and I didn't have it in my hand. And so I really only had the San Jose option. And dude, that was as expensive as it was for me because I had to move up there and pay rent and everything. You know, I, dude, I probably could have gone to USC uh, with like what I spent up at San Jose, but Dude, that was like the best decision of my entire life for sure yeah. like moving or like get like accepting or like getting into san jose state a hundred percent like dude, we made so many friends it was so fun <laughs> it was so fun uh like i have a home away from home like that was absolutely the, probably the best two years of my life two and a half years of my life to date like so many different like things that you just have to navigate you know on top of like living by yourself but also like going to grad school and like meeting new people like you you remember Shelly, yeah. how it was at the beginning how when I introduced myself to you and uh, and Ivana <laughs> good and I memories like, <laughs> I, I you have to kind of put yourself out there you know and just be like okay like I'm I'm just gonna I'm just gonna try to make friends <laughs> That's so true. Yeah, I agree with you. I I applied for USC, but for sure I didn't want to go there because I didn't want to be in debt. Like their tuition is crazy expensive. And uh, I chose San Jose State because I live in the Bay. So it was just an easy decision for me based on tuition, location, also the length of the program because Dominican mm, is in the Bay, yeah. and I think their OT program is three years long, whereas San Jose State, it's two years in the classroom, and then you have six months of internship, and I was like, you know what, the the shorter the program is, the less money I have to front, and then I could easily become an OT once I graduate, you know? That was actually, now you just, now that you just said that, I do remember uh, Loma Linda's program is also like three and a half years or something. Mm-hmm. Um, that was also one of the schools that I was looking at, but that's also super expensive for me. So I couldn't, there's no way I couldn't do that. For me, uh, when I first discovered OT in undergrad, I remember right then and there, I was like, I want to do this career. Like this sounds just like, you know, my passions, my values. So then I started taking prereqs while I was in undergrad, which was super hard because I had a major and a minor and I had to take prereqs for OT, and I was like, this is so much, but definitely worth it. I did have to take a gap year, though, because I finished my prereqs when I graduated uh, my undergrad. So then I have to wait a year to hear back from mm. the schools. Interesting. I know. So you quickly went into OT school. Um, do you have any advice to our listeners for those who are applying do you recommend going jumping straight into ot school whether it's like finance wise or time wise was it too much was it too stressful at all you know what i think because when i got into the program 
I was so young, dude. I, I was like 21. I just turned 20, 21 or 22, like something like that. So I was like brand new. Yeah, you were and, the youngest in our cohort for sure. Oh, yeah. And I think, I think we're real. I think I would have suffered if it wasn't for you guys, you know? Mm-hmm. So it was like just like a random, like totally like the universe lining up that we all met each other that uh like our cohort like we had our little group of friends and we were just like having fun and you know everybody got along and everything was nice um i definitely think if i was young like if i had to do it over uh if i'm young i would do it again you know uh like being so young and in that position it like makes you learn how to like manage your time and how to like learn how to meet people and how to manage relationships and how to just like kind of become like a functioning human, I guess. Yeah, that's so true. When I went into grad school, I feel like it was different than undergrad. Like grad school was a lot of like group projects. You're using a lot of your social skills, like, and especially for you, you had to move somewhere. So you had to live on your own and start uh, your future. Yeah, it was definitely had that feel. Well, I guess like in the moment, I didn't realize. I was just kind of like doing it just because like, that was my only option at that point, you know? Mm-hmm. You just kind of have to, you got to just do it. You just got to have to learn on the fly and 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 make sacrifices and, and like, you know, just try to prosper. Yeah, I could see that too because like in OT school, there are a lot of projects and as exams and assignments to do and I feel like the younger you are the more momentum you have for studying and all of that stuff versus if you're older then you have other responsibilities and then you have to balance going to school full-time oh dude absolutely I mean like being young like I was so fresh I just got out of undergrad so like I just taken my GRE everything like I knew how to take tests I knew how to like decipher information really quick like really grad school like the uh, like the academic part wasn't very difficult for me I think because well for all of us because we were so young right so we were like really in it and we could just do things and it was easy for us but I definitely noticed like some of the older people in our cohort that they struggled because of like that gap that they they might have not been in school for a few years. So they kind of like struggled trying to like met. And also they have like the older people I noticed they have their lives kind of set up already. Right. One of like the crazy like looking back, one of like the huge advantages of like going into this, going into grad school at a young age is that you don't have kids. You literally can like pick up and do anything you know, you could go to the library at 10 at night or, you know, go study in the middle of the day. It doesn't matter. You don't have any responsibilities to, to like, that are holding you down. So, like, I did notice, like, some of the older people, like, um, God, I can't remember his name, but he would, like, ride his bike. He had, like, mm-hmm. a family. He would ride the train every day. And, like, he, he literally would, like, come in, like, go to class and then, like, go back home, right? And, and that kind of... It wasn't like detrimental or anything, but you can't like it would it would be difficult for him to like stay 
and like ask his classmates questions or um, ask a professor something or get involved somehow, you know? Yeah, that's really true. It's like different life stages means different responsibilities. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I think that's just crazy that you were on the wait list for San Jose State and then you actually got in. So what do you think is the reason for why you got in um, after being on the wait list? Like were your grades really good or your personal statement or something? I have absolutely no <laughs> idea why I got into the school. I like, dude, I did not have like a crazy GPA. I did Do you not remember have, like, your GPA? Huh? Do you remember your GPA? I don't remember my GPA, but it wasn't like, I went to Cal, I, like nothing against Cal State Fullerton, but like I didn't even, you know, going into undergrad, I didn't even get into Long Beach. I didn't get in anywhere. Calcid Fortune was my only option, right? Were your so, GRE scores really good? My GRE? I took the GRE, Shelly. I didn't even study for the GRE. What? I, I literally, I was playing basketball the night before my GRE. And I remember I was just like, well, because I didn't, it wasn't like my plan. It just like kind of happened that I was going to be an OT, right? Yeah. I wanted to be a teacher. That's I right. I wanted to be an anchor. That's really, right. You know? So I, this wasn't like something, I'm so happy that it like came true, you know, it was like a total accident, but like this did not, this was like not part of like my plan growing up. I never in a million years, like thought I was going to be an OT. It wasn't until probably that I got like the official acceptance like letter saying that, oh, okay. You're, you made it to San Jose State, right? Like after the wait list, uh, when they officially accepted me, it wasn't until then that I was like, holy crap, I'm going to be an OT. Like, this is real. Like, I'm going to be a professional. I'm going to be a professional. I'm going to be an OT. That but is that crazy. Not part of the plan at all. So I have no idea why I got accepted. I, I, I hope, I, you know what? I did have a, a ton of volunteer hours. Yeah, I was going to say that. Like, maybe it's the volunteer hours and, and your OT's recommendation letter because to get into OT school, um, well, for San Jose State, I looked it up. I think you need 60 hours of experience under the supervision of an OT, and then you need, like, three recommendation letters. So what was your volunteer experience like with OTs? So I did six months of volunteer um, experience at like a private clinic in Irvine. It's called Karate for All. And they just kind of like pump out like uh, OTs, PTs, dentists. Like they like if you want to get um, like volunteer hours, you go there. Right. It's really by the book. They have like a program and they have like it's really you have to like get in and then you have to like work your way up to get your hours and to get the schedule that you want. But I was going there probably like three times a week for six months. And um, I was spending like two, three hours every single time I was there. Uh, I met some really cool people. Uh, that was like, I guess, like my first intro into like how creative OT can be. Because this guy that owned the little the, the clinic he was like integrating OT and karate and like specifically for, well, really for everybody, right? It's called karate for all. But um, he was like kind of tailoring it to like uh, 
kind of to like a sensory approach, kind of like a SI type of approach so that, um, kids could, uh, could like learn self-discipline. And it was, it was like a team sport because you're in a group, but at the same time, it's very individualized and you have to like really follow directions. So it's a good program. I mean, it's cool. I always recommend it to my parents when I'm, if they, if they um, are like looking for something like kind of like a sporty type thing for their kids to do, mm-hmm. uh, especially if the kids on the spectrum, because it does have like that group approach, but also very individualized. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pretty cool. So I did a ton of hours there, six months there. And then, like I said, when I was uh, working at the school district as an instructional aide, Oh my God, I didn't leave the OT room. If I wasn't, if I wasn't working, I was hanging out with the OT and I remember, oh God, I remember one, the week before spring break. Now that I'm an OT, like I understand, especially in the school <laughs> setting, I yeah. understand like how crazy the week before and after like those long extended holidays, like how crazy it gets with IEPs. So this lady, this OT, God, I love her. She's awesome. But <laughs> she literally told me, she said, if you come and help me out for this hour, like during, um, during what well, for this hour, so that uh, while she had like a few kids, right? She had like a, a group that she was running. She's like, if you help me during this hour, well, and I, I like type up like my reports and get everything ready, and you're here like supervising and like working with the kids, then I'll give you like a ton of observation hours. And I was like, oh my god, yes, this is like awesome. I'll totally do it. That is amazing. <laughs> That is amazing for sure because, I mean, some people I heard, they have trouble finding OT observation hours, especially at the hospital. If you're trying to observe an OT at the hospital, for sure you're going to be on a wait list because everyone wants their observation hours there. And fortunately, I got into um, a hospital in San Diego, so I was observing a hand therapist, but my experience compared to yours, it's it's like way different. Like I, while observing the OT, I had to do a lot of cleaning and organizing. Like I had to wipe down all the equipment in the rehab gym. I had to like get all the bed linens together. It was a lot of like cleaning and stuff not really related to hands-on working with patients and stuff like that. So it's definitely different for um, depending on where, which company you decide to volunteer for. And I guess the OT that you're shadowing. For me, I had to ask like some of my college professors to write my letters of recommendation. Did you have to do that too for professors? Yeah, and I, I don't know about you, but I was not the best undergrad student. I hardly ever participated in anything. I never rose my hand. I didn't do, like, I did my group projects. Um, you know, I, I didn't even talk to people, really. I think in all of my undergrad, I honestly think I made three friends, two to three friends. And, like, maybe, like, I would never, like, I wouldn't, I can't call them up right now and be like, oh, let's go grab coffee. Like, I feel like that would be weird. Yeah. Um, same for yeah. me. Like for the university, it's because you're in a classroom with like 400 people and it's really hard to connect with even your professor unless you wait, you know, after class and then you try to talk to your professor, but most likely they're, you know, on their way out. So 
what I did in college was we had this program called Dine with a Professor and you get a voucher to have like a coffee date or a, a dinner date with your professor. So I basically use that in order to talk to them like once or twice. And then I'll follow up with an email saying, oh, by the way, I'm trying to apply for grad school. Do you think you can write me a letter of recommendation? <laughs> oh, nice. That's super. That's actually really good on your. Where did you go to undergrad? UCSB? UC San Diego. Yeah. UC San Diego. Dude, that's like really really good on your college to like have that type of uh like program yeah just, for sure there's like so many kids like i my tip for anybody out there that's like like us where we don't really like raise our hands or like talk in a class and don't really make a ton of friends in class or don't communicate with the professor as much as we should what i did i picked the friendliest professor that i could remember and I emailed her and I wrote her like a nice email saying something like, hey, I don't know if you remember me. This is where I used to sit in the class. I really <laughs> enjoyed this topic that you covered. I really enjoyed your class. Um, you know, uh, I'm actually applying to, to graduate school. And I was wondering if you'd be willing to write me a letter of rec, like something like that. That's right? perfect. That's exactly yeah. what I did, too. Yeah, because, I mean, but I didn't realize that professors, like, they're, at least that professor, was super, super accommodating. She's like, oh, my God, yeah, I'd love to. Uh, I don't know if she did remember me or not, but she was like, I remember you. And I was like, okay, like, maybe, maybe she did, maybe she didn't. But she wrote me an awesome letter of rec also. Um, I don't know. Yeah, that's my tip for anybody that's looking to get letters of rec for sure. Same. Like, that's a perfect email template, what you just did. Like, for sure, if you're asking a professor, definitely include a topic that you enjoyed learning from them in the class. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, try to shoot for a professor that's, like, very friendly. Yeah. Because I, mean, I think that, I feel like that's, like, covered under their, like, job responsibilities, right? Like, they're professors, so they kind of want to, like, pay it forward or, like, continue like the pursuit of education so like I feel like I feel like usually all professors would do that but yeah I, could me too. I don't know no I think most of them do agree to write you a letter of rec um other than the letters of rec like what about your personal statement like what did do you remember what you wrote in your personal statement because that could be why you got off the wait list and you got accepted that could be but <laughs> I don't I don't remember really my personal statement I think I wrote well, actually, I kind of do remember right now that you just, I I kind of wrote about how uh, I want to, or I've always kind of, I've always felt like this, right? Because I've never had like what I consider a real job. I've always been like somehow like either an after school, in an after school program or like helping kids with their homework or like being instructional aid, even being an OT, like there are like aspects of it that. I consider a real job because there's like real paperwork and there's like liabilities and responsibilities that I have to do. But at the end of the day, like I'm just having fun. Right. Um, and I guess, I guess like part of my personal statement was that I'm, I'm working my way through the system and my like main objective is to, is to uh, make kids lives better. Right. I've never wanted to work with old people or older people in that geriatric population. I've never wanted to work 
and stroke or anything like that. Like that just doesn't call my attention at all. I'd rather, I'd rather just work with kids. And so that was like part of my personal statement that I just want to continue making like the lives of these kids better so that they grow up with like positive role models. And so they can, they can like lead like a, a better life and, and help spread like this message of just kind of like positivity and, and, you know, just, just all that, all that jazz. You know me, Shelly. Yeah. That sounds like (laughs) a really empathetic, emotional, personal statement. Like you tied it to something personal, whether it's like your experience with kids or like your life motto for spreading positivity. Like that's similar to what I did, which was immediately in the beginning of my personal statement, I referenced like a a specific memory I had with a patient when I was doing my volunteer hours. So I made it like a super emotional, empathetic paper. And that's why I think to this day, that's why I got into San Jose State. Like it's definitely my personal statement. You got to move people in your statement. That is the truth. I think, (laughs) I think even if you don't move them, just like, I guess, no, you should move them, make them feel something. Make it fun. Make it genuine. That's the key. Just like, I don't know, like just be yourself. Yeah. And looking back at the entire admissions process, like taking the GRE, getting the rec letters, getting the volunteer hours, the prereqs, what do you think is the most challenging part about this whole process? The most challenging part about the whole process, I would have to say... For me, for me specifically, it was probably getting the letters of rec. Um, believe it or not, I used to be very shy. And that's one of the things that, like, grad school, like, completely changed about me, actually. Like, now I'm, like, not shy at all. It's, like, pretty disgusting. <laughs> that's um, crazy. <laughs> I can't believe you used to be shy. <laughs> I know. I know. I used to be very, very shy. Um and, like, I, like, clearly remember, like, the, whenever that day that I asked if you guys wanted to be friends, mm-hmm. like, that was the day that I decided to, like, not be shy anymore. Like, <laughs> I made, like, the actual decision to do it, to, like, flip a switch in my body and soul. <laughs> so, um, so, like, that, uh, so, like, yeah, for me, that was, like, the hardest part, like, trying to, like, track down these people that I felt comfortable enough with to, like, approach, but then also, like, uh, that are professional enough that their professional recommendation would like carry weight, you know? That's like, true. I remember one of the teachers that I was working for at the time, um, she wrote me, oh my God, dude, she wrote me a letter of rec that was literally like two sentences long. What? And I was are you so serious? Pissed. Yes, dude, I was so pissed. And I don't know if you remember, <laughs> but San Jose State, like, you send the link to yeah. the person, yeah. right? And so she, I had already like talked to her and she, I sent her the link and we were at work. I remember I was in her class and she was like, oh, I'll write you your letter of rec right now. And here I am thinking that she's going to have something already written up, you know, and she's just going to like copy and paste it into this link. And there's no, she like opened the link and was like, to whom it may concern uh, as like, a teacher at blah, blah, blah school working for blah, blah, blah district. Like it is my professional recommendation to recommend Joseph Suarez. Right. Oh my and gosh. I was just like, what? She's like, uh, sincerely. And then her name. And I, I 
I, she's like, is that good? And I was like, perfect. Just send it. Thank God that that I actually oh got God. four letters of rec. And so actually, I think it was Gigi. Gigi might have called me. Somebody called me. Somebody on the faculty of San Jose State, whoever's working admissions, called me and was like, hi, we have four letters of rec. Which one do you want to exclude? And I said, exclude that list. <laughs> so I got that one like nicked off. Thank God. Wow. Yeah, she, she was a great teacher and a great lady. Just an awful, awful, awful person to ask to write a letter of rec, I guess, apparently. Yeah. Moral of the story. Make sure you have additional letters of recommendation because, uh, wait, technically you're not supposed to be able to read them. But I guess, like yeah. you said, you have to gauge like whoever you're asking, make sure they're friendly, make sure they're going to be detailed about writing, you know, writing you a letter so that they can basically convince the school that you are capable, that you have all these experiences that make you will that make you worthy of going to the school. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You can help them if they need help. That's true. You know? They do but ask you questions too, like, "Oh, like do you want me to write about, you know, your personality, this specific experience, like what kind of skills you have. Oh yeah, 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 absolutely. You just, you, you gotta. That's that was the hardest part for me. The GRE, thankfully, it wasn't too bad. Um, and then uh, the prereqs, the prereqs were a little bit hard, especially that um, that cadaver class that we had to take, and then the the neuroanatomy. Mm-hmm. Neuroanatomy is hard. Uh, but everything else, you know. I guess, like, in retrospect, it seems, like, super hard in the moment, you know? But, yeah, there's so many worse things that can happen, you know? That's so true. Like, for me, I would say, looking back, the application process, all I remember was needing to be organized. Because if you're applying to multiple schools, they have different requirements, different deadlines. Like, I recommend using a planner so you could write down, okay, for San Jose State, I need to send in... X, Y, and Z by this date for Dominican, for USC, all that yes. stuff. So staying organized is key. Absolutely. Checklist is what helped me big time. I used to make checklists like 20 a day, I remember. And then you just like go down the line as to like what you need to do today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, the application process looking back was, it was difficult. And I want to say too, that that was the hardest part about this whole OT journey. Like once you're in OT school, you're solid. Your future should be solid. OT school was super fun. It's really, really fun, especially if you make great friends. Um, Don't take anything too seriously. And just the only thing that I wish I would have done looking back, do I have any regrets in OT school? Actually, I don't have a single regret. <laughs> I enjoyed my experience thoroughly. And yeah, and it's like if you got a bad grade on a on some exam or you got a bad grade in a class, like yes, you do need good grades to pass. As long as you pass, you're fine. Don't worry about the grades, the number on the exam. Like once you're out, once you graduate, no one asks you about your OT experience in school anymore. Like, it doesn't really matter what school you go to. No, 
Yeah, it definitely does not matter what school you go to. As long as you got that paper to your name, that license, people are going to want you. What's really going to make the difference is like, uh, I guess, your interview skills. Definitely. Um, Joe, if you can give a piece of advice to the people who are applying to OT school right now or thinking about OT or maybe even in OT school, what advice do you have? Um, my advice to anybody that's applying or in OT school or anything like that, I guess would be that you can't steer a still boat. So, like, you kind of have to be moving in a direction. You have to be moving in order to be able to steer which way you're going to end up, right? So, mm-hmm. like, don't get caught up on, like, I want to be a rehab coordinator or I want to be head of this or whatever. Like, just kind of go with the flow and get the experience and don't be so quick to, 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 to get to that end destination, you know? That's so true. It's it's uh, it's not about the finish line. It's about the journey to the finish line. Like you were saying that you had a really good time in OT school. It's about the friendships you made. And looking back, like you don't remember all of the like the the grades, the studying, the stress about that stuff. Like it's it's really about making the experience worthwhile. Yeah, absolutely. And I would also say that you're not going to learn everything in a book. You know, I don't know. That's a really good piece of advice for sure. There's going to be some things that, that, you know, uh, it's just going to take 20 years of you being an OT to learn. There's not something, there's like no magic book, especially for OT, where it's going to have every single thing that you could possibly, every scenario, you know, it's just going to take experience. Yeah. That was probably the hardest thing for me to learn. Yeah, me too. Because when I was a new grad, I felt so anxious. I just wanted to know everything already. But the truth is, you just need time. You need time and experience, like you said. Yeah, that's like the biggest thing. Be patient with it, I guess, you know, just uh, and don't um, don't be afraid to take on new opportunities or new challenges or something new. Um, Because I think I think coming out of OT school, I mean, you're equipped to, like, be a learner, you know? It's not teaching you how to be an OT. It's, like, kind of teaching you how to learn to be an OT. Oh, for sure. That is the best advice. It's teaching you to learn to be flexible and to Uh plan and adapt to changing and unpredictable environments. That is is key. That's pretty much – that would be my advice to people. Just kind of take your time with it and gain the experience because that's going to be key like years down the line mm-hmm. when you eventually do hit your goal of being a rehab director or a coordinator or a case, I don't know, whatever you want to be. Yeah, you know? definitely. Well, thank you for being on this episode, Joe. We are coming to an end. So that's going to wrap up episode called what about becoming an OT hope you listeners learn something about the application process and stay posted for future episodes thanks Joe no problem thank you for having me Shelly